Welcome to The Dirt. On this show, we discuss all things related to the environment and environmental justice, often with a focus on North Carolina. We have a great show for you today. Uh, coming up shortly, you are going to hear from North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein, who sat down with us for an exclusive interview earlier in the week on a wide range of topics. We talked about chemical dumping, we talked about opioids, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. You're going to need to hear all of it. Uh, a little background, uh, the state of North Carolina elected Josh Stein, the new attorney general, last November to a four-year term. Before that, the new governor, Roy Cooper, was attorney general, and he'd been in office since 2001. So he was there for a long time. There's a significant transition going on. Uh, and for Mr. Stein, he previously served in the North Carolina legislature. He represented Wake County in the 16th District in the state Senate from 2009 to 2016. And while he was there, he was recognized by the North Carolina Sierra Club, the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association, the North Carolina League of Conservation Voters for a, a variety of work in support of conservation and clean energy issues. Uh, before that, he was at North Carolina DOJ as a consumer advocate. And way before that, he was a graduate from Chapel Hill High School, so he's from the area. And he sat down with us this week. I'm just going to throw it into the interview. I hope you enjoy it and take a listen. Your office launched a civil investigation into Kimworks over the summer uh, related to the discharges of a chemical compound called Gen X into the Cape Fear River. Gen X, uh, for listeners who don't know, is used in the production of Teflon and other water resistant products. So it's the kind of thing that doesn't break down easily in water. Uh, I think in fact it takes hundreds of years. It's difficult to filter out of drinking water. So folks in Wilmington and elsewhere up and down the Cape Fear or finding this turning up in their tap water. Uh, I would, I'd like to know from you what the, the scope and the legal basis for your investigation is right now. Well, there are two ways in which my office is involved in this matter involving chemors and the discharge of the chemical Gen X. Uh, the first is we represent the Department of Environmental Quality. And DEQ, as it is known, is the regulator that issues permits, including the discharge permit that the company had to discharge its waste into the Cape Fear River. The uh, DEQ was concerned that representations that the company made in its application for that permit were, uh, were not being followed and that they were actually discharging chemicals that were not represented in that permit. And so we have achieved a um, partial consent order in which, while the litigation is ongoing, uh, Kimors, the company, has agreed that they will not discharge Gen X or other similar potentially dangerous chemicals. Secondly, my office also represents consumers, the consuming public. And the company has made a number of representations about the sustainability of this chemical. And uh, what we want to make sure is that they have the evidence, the scientific evidence, to back up the representations that this is a, a safe and sustainable chemical. Uh, and we are engaged in that work as well. So has Kimwars been responsive so far? How is that? How would you characterize how cooperative they've been so far? They have been cooperative. Okay. We've made a number of document requests, uh, and they've been responsive in getting us things on a, on a rolling basis, meaning that as they have them, they provide them. Uh, and uh, we worked out that consent agreement, uh, partial consent agreement, at, 
uh, right before a hearing before a judge a few weeks ago in which they consented, they agreed they wouldn't do any more discharge. And so, uh, you know, we have fundamental differences about the potential risk of these chemicals from the company, but uh, they have been cooperative and and being uh, a good corporate citizen in terms of responding to what we demand of them. And you're requesting information about GenX and also C8, from what I understand, is that true? Because we right. know a little bit more about C8, correct? And there are other uh, chlorocarbon, uh, or chlor <laughs> you know the chemical term better than I do, um, but there are other uh, chemicals related to C8 and GenX, uh, which are also potentially at risk, and so that's what we've asked them for information on all of those chemicals. To what extent, so Kimors is a, is a spinoff from DuPont mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. Uh, to, to what extent does this extend to DuPont? Are you interacting with DuPont? Are they being responsive? What's that relationship like, if any? Uh, to my knowledge, we haven't been engaged with DuPont because Kimors is the keeper of all that information and has been sharing it with us. Uh, I, I think that at this point it's premature to look at whether there's any um, liability for DuPont. Our, our primary concern with all of the work that we're doing here is to ensure that when people turn on their tap and put their glass under that to get drinking water, that they're confident that it's clean, that it's safe, that they can drink it and their children won't be sick or affected by it. Uh, that's a pretty basic need that everybody uh, is entitled to. And we're trying to make sure that when people do that, that they do have that confidence. Speaking of confidence, people in communities along the Cape Fear, I mean, we, we know that there's been a lot of concern in Wilmington. There have been these huge community forums, hundreds of people showing up to learn about this stuff. More recently, there have been people in the, in the Fayetteville area and in the area around the Kimor site uh, that have had contaminated well water. And I, there was a notice put out by your office last week or the week before related to mailings that have gone out to sure. some of the... Uh, the folks who are in, in these areas, uh, what, what is that about? What, what's going on here? It is very common when something big happens, whether it's a storm or in this case, a, a, a chemical in the, in the drinking water, that companies will come out of the woodwork and knock on doors and try to play on people's fear. Uh, it may be that there's storm damage and a tree's leaning on your house and somebody will say, let me go up on your roof and take a look at your roof. And they'll come down with some rotten piece of wood that maybe they carried up there with them and said, oh, you need to get this tree off and we need to replace your roof and it'll cost $40,000 and you need to do it now because I've got six other jobs and if you want to lock me in, you got to do it right now. And so they play on fear and they play on urgency. And so it doesn't surprise me that companies have been mailing these postcards. They're going to say, I'm going to come to your door. I will test your water in your home. And uh, if, you, if we determine that it's unsafe, I've got a filtration system or a chemical system that I will sell you and it'll make all your problems go away. And people should be very dubious of those types of claims. Uh, In-home testing is inherently unreliable. You don't know what food coloring they put in the water to make it turn a certain color. And uh, a, a filtration system at home isn't the way to deal with this issue of Gen X. So our, our recommendation to, for people is to be very cautious whenever anybody comes to your door to tell you about a problem that you have that only they can fix. And by the way, you got to fix it right now. 
It makes sense. Are you actively investigating these things or are you just kind of keeping an eye on, you know, reports of, of these kinds of things coming in? It's the latter. Okay. We've gotten notice that some of these mailings have gone out. We've heard from a number of people in the area and that's why we did the um, warning to consumers. And if we find out that companies are in fact selling people useless products, then obviously we'll, we'll take action at that point. Uh, that brings me to another thing because you have a a long history of being a, a consumer advocate. I think that's a, a huge part of your story. Um, before you were in the legislature, you were uh, working consumer protection stuff at the North Carolina Department of Justice. Uh, as you know, Duke Energy Progress is asking the North Carolina Utilities Commission to approve a rate hike. It's $477 million. I think an average residential customer is going to see bills increase around $18, which averages up to $122 a month. Um, in part, Duke is saying that this is to pay costs for um, coal ash, cleaning up coal ash. DOJ is intervening in this case. I am wondering how your experience as an advocate for consumer protection kind of shapes your approach to this proposed rate hike uh, from Duke. Well, everybody needs electricity. When we turn on the light switch, we expect the light to come on. Uh, we need heating and air, we need refrigeration. We all benefit from electricity and Duke provides that electricity and uh, needs to be paid in a legitimate amount for whatever uh, service they provide. They have sought a very high rate increase, about 14, 15%. Uh, some of it has to do with improvements they wanna make to the grid. And as you note, some of it has to do with cleaning up of the coal ash. Well, the coal ash piece, uh, the question I have is, we have to clean up this mess that exists today. And there are you know, these 14 sites around the state, uh, many more ponds, just massive, massive amounts of coal ash. Uh, were they reasonably reasonable and prudent in the decisions they've made over the last number of years in how they've dealt with it to this point? Um, because if they haven't been, then they're not entitled to get any, the full... Uh, reimbursement of whatever costs they incur today to clean it up. So that's what our my job is, is I want to make sure that when Duke asks for a rate case for cleaning up coal ash or even the word, work they want to do on the grid, are they seeking reasonable and prudent uh, measures? If they're not, my job and what I believe is my uh, essential mission here is to make sure that the consumers don't pay a dime more than they are obligated to because Duke has a monopoly. And when you're dealing with a monopoly, it's important that the state look out for the consumers. Uh, beyond coal ash, uh, I'm wondering if your office has any kind of environmental justice specific strategy or plan or conversations taking place. I'm wondering what the conversation around environmental justice looks like in your DOJ. Well, we're very concerned about, uh, look, my job as attorney general is to protect the people of the state. And that includes protecting their drinking water, protecting the air that they breathe. And we pursue that mission in a number of different ways. We've already talked about Kimmore's and the Gen X case. We've talked about Duke and the rates and the coal ash case. Um, there are a number of things happening in Washington, such as the, the president is trying to abandon the clean power plan, and I am intervening in that to ensure that we do everything we can to address carbon emissions, reduce our carbon emissions, so that we're not making a 
problem of increased climate change worse. Uh, similarly, when he, when the president came out against the Paris Climate Accord, uh, I spoke out in, in opposition to his decision. So. Uh, there's a lot of things that we do. It's all under the umbrella of looking out for the people of the state and whether it's dealing, trying to protect consumers at Camores or, uh, you know, another thing that the Trump administration has done is petition FERC, which is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, the federal regulators, trying to get a subsidy for coal, which makes no sense on two levels. One is it'll mean that consumers actually pay more for their electricity in order to burn more carbon, which will worsen climate change and all this erratic weather that we've been experiencing. So it, that's another instance where I'm looking out for consumers and I'm looking out for the general public. So in that case, we have to talk about the budget uh, because there's a lot that you want to do. Um, and over the summer, the legislature made massive surprise cuts to uh, your budget, $10 million. There have been 45 positions cut, I think. Um, to say it's draconian, I think would be an understatement. The reaction has been harsh. Uh, what is at stake with these cuts? What do you need going forward to protect the consumers that you're talking about and the people in North Carolina? Well, you are correct. The legislature imposed a, a drastic $10 million cut and it was not in the House budget. It was not in the Senate budget. They put it into the conference report the night before it was voted on, which by the way is contrary to the legislature's own rules. Um, so it was snuck in at the last minute and it has real impacts on our ability to do work. We lost 45 positions. This included lawyers with experience handling criminal appeals of convicted child sex offenders, uh, lawyers from uh, relevant to the environment, lawyers experienced with protecting clean water, uh, other lawyers who make sure that kids get the child support they're entitled to under the law. Uh, and we lost a lot of people who do a lot of good work for the citizens of North Carolina. We have tried to mitigate the impact as best we could. We negotiated with a lot of the client agencies we represent to uh, encourage them to put the lawyers who work for the DOJ on receipt support, meaning that the agencies would actually pay for their salaries as they continue to do their work. And a lot of agencies uh, under both Republican Council of State members and Democratic cabinets stepped up in a way that was very encouraging. So. It's concerning, uh, you know, re the Republican former Supreme Court Justice Bob Orr said that these cuts threaten the critical work of the Attorney General's office. Uh, WREL did a uh, editorial in which they said it was gonna hurt thousands of North Carolinians. Yeah, it's real and we're just trying to manage it as best we can. And it's not just money. Uh, was last week, a week before maybe it was earlier in the month, I suppose, uh, they slipped a measure into a bill that would prohibit you from shifting some appellate work to local district attorney's offices. That's right. Uh, so the legislative bodies, they're trying to micromanage the attorney general here as well. And it's a part-time legislature, they say, but they keep coming back special session after special session for this kind of stuff. So I feel like we're veering into separation of powers issues. Um, and, and I'm wondering from you, how appropriate that is, what impact at the at the district court level this is going to have, what law enforcement groups are saying, what are DAs sure. telling you um, as you're you know going further into the year? Well, when when the cuts were first announced, and then when we announced the extent of the the cuts, the the, the reductions in force were going to be in both instances, the Association of District Attorneys, the sheriffs, and the chiefs of police were all 
arm in arm with us because they understand the public safety concern uh, by the, the, the consequences of these cuts. And the legislature imposed the cuts and then in a number of ways they restricted my ability to manage them internally. But even within those constraints, they're now trying to tie my hands further. And uh, you know, the, the North Carolina Constitution declares that district attorneys shall do whatever I ask of them in handling of criminal appeals. And so the Constitution is pretty clear on this matter. I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, one thing that we've talked about on the show a lot are these industrial hog facilities uh, out east and, and their impact on the environment. Uh, Smithfield is one of those and it's, it's subsidiaries. Uh, back in 2000, uh, they, Smithfield Foods came to an agreement with then Attorney General Mike Easley uh, to commit to pay $65 million into a fund that's going to be spent researching new hog waste disposal technologies uh, and other environmental protection conservation projects, which as I understand it usually comes through the form of grants that your office manages, usually around $2 million a year I think. Uh, so with that money over the past 16 years, I know that at least 200 hog waste lagoons have been closed mm -hmm. uh, and there have been a number of other conservation projects and habitat protect protection projects. I'm wondering what your approach to distributing the money is going to be and if you have an idea of the types of projects you want to prioritize or what your philosophy is going to be. Yeah, these environmental enhancement grants are funded by an agreement that Smithfield had with the state and you were right, it was then Attorney General Mike Easley who settled this, or, or negotiated this with, with Smithfield. And uh, these projects are doing great things to improve the quality of drinking water, particularly in eastern North Carolina, where the hog lagoons are concentrated. Uh, there's been a legal, there's been a lawsuit that was filed against my predecessor, current Governor Cooper, when he was Attorney General, by a gentleman named Francis DeLuca and, and his organization Civitas. I think it was on Friday that the judge granted the state summary judgment and said that there was not a basis for that lawsuit to, to continue. So we're very pleased with the outcome uh, with that decision. Uh, we're studying the decision carefully to determine our next steps as it relates to the next round of these in environmental enhancement grants. So I can't say with precision exactly when we'll start granting again, uh, but it will be when we do get it going again, it'll be similar criteria to what's been used in the past, which is what's going to improve the quality of drinking water in eastern North Carolina. Great. Uh, shifting gears, and this is not an environmental topic per se, uh, opioids. Mm -hmm. uh, opioid deaths are now the top driver of drug overdose deaths. I think the number one cause of accidental deaths uh, in North Carolina or the country. Uh, you announced last month that you and 40 other attorneys general are going to be investigating some major pharmaceutical manufacturers and distributors mm -hmm. to examine what their role might be in this crisis. What are you looking at exactly in terms of their accountability? Well, there are different issues for the two different groups. But basically, it, over the last 15, 20 years, millions of Americans, uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of North Carolinians have become addicted to these very powerful painkillers, opioid painkillers. And the manufacturers had been marketing them as safe and non-addictive. Uh, so what we're looking at as it relates to the manufacturers is were they making representations that were not backed up by science? Were they helping to spread the overuse of uh, an overprescription of these drugs by doctors and dentists? 
Then as it relates to the pharmaceutical distributors, they have a duty under federal law to develop protocols, uh, algorithms to make sure that they are not being, these controlled substances are not being uh, misused. And so they should be able to determine, wait a minute, there's a lot of these pills going to a specific pharmacy in a specific county that is wholly out of whack with what a peer pharmacy in neighboring counties is doing. And, and that should raise all kinds of red flags. And when those alarm bells go off, the pharmaceutical distributors are supposed to stop and make sure that those drugs aren't being distributed and misused at that point of distribution. So we are looking at the drug companies in that regard, the drug distributors. There was a really powerful 60 minutes a week ago from yesterday, so uh, just a couple, uh, eight or nine days ago, that really laid out this issue. And if anyone's interested in it, just go to 60 Minutes and type in drug distributors and you will see the story and uh, really be shaken by it. So I am on the executive committee and leadership team of the executive committee of the pharmaceutical distributors um, investigation. And then I'm also on the leadership group that's looking at the drug manufacturers. It's 41 states. It's bipartisan. It's all across the country because, as you noted, it's not only the number one cause of accidental death in North Carolina, it is now the number one cause of accidental death in the country. Uh, and it, it's affecting the entire country. And it's important that we hold everyone accountable. We, look, we hold drug traffickers accountable for the role that they're playing. And if these drug companies were making profits improperly and they created or contributed to this crisis, they need to be held accountable as well. Research published this month in the American Journal of Public Health has shows that opioid overdose deaths in Colorado have declined 6.5% since legalizing recreational marijuana, and there have been a number of studies indicating that legal medical marijuana have, uh, has mitigated opioid impacts as well. Is legal or decriminalized marijuana part of the prescription for the, addressing the crisis in North Carolina? Where do you see that going? Well, there are two issues that you raised. One is recreational use, and one has to do with pain management. And um, my view of all of this is things should be empirically and scientifically medically based. Um, I haven't seen evidence that is completely compelling on um, cannabis for pain, although uh, I've, there are some studies that show it, and I'm certainly open to um, medical marijuana or, or cannabis. Uh, as it relates to recreational marijuana, I need a lot more evidence than what you just described of what happened in Colorado because part of what has created this crisis is legal drugs. The, these painkillers are legal products and too much use of them has very painful social costs and we are paying those consequences today with people being addicted, people dying, families living uh, in pain and sorrow. So uh, I, I am not there on recreational marijuana, but I'm certainly open to evidence as it relates to medical, medical cannabis. All right, I'm going to leave you with this. Halloween is next week. What scares you? What scares me? Um, I have real faith that we, uh, although we are in very unsettled political times and uh, in many ways, um, our political norms are being stretched and tested in ways that they never have been before. Um, we have a legislature that is interested in getting into the executive branch in addition to their own branch. 
and now they, they're talking about uh, reshaping the judiciary to however they want it. Uh, we've got a, a president that's engaged in a lot of actions that I think are unfortunate. Um, but I really do have fundamental faith in the wisdom of the American people and American voters that will bring, I just want to restore some balance and restore some sanity to the way we conduct our governance. Because our government, whether it's the state government or the federal government, it's all about trying to serve the people. It's, it's how we organize ourselves. And when it's out of whack, like I think it is right now, um, I think uh, it will be, the American people will recognize that and will restore that sanity uh, and balance to government. Great. Thank you for talking to us today. I appreciate it. Enjoyed your time.